cactus, you're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black of what valley and the Wind River Windmill. It's a small little town blanketed in snow named Wyville. From Wyville unfolds a story of the most wondrous of any night. A story of hope that seemed lost but reclaimed in starlight. It's a story that may seem a little odd or even quite silly. In truth though, it's a picture of you and me really. For at times it might seem that all hope is lost truth it's waiting to be found tonight the grouchiest of grinches will discover the meaning of christmas to be profound the best part of a wyville christmas the very best thing they say was wyville's annual light show spectacular display it seemed that all the lights were ready to light but not one why noticed something wasn't quite right for up on mount grumpy the grinchiest of all grinches had enough of why silliness. And that grimly, he stalked down with a scheme that was ever so villainous. Pastor Mark Hoover came up with the concept for our message series, Grinches, this summer. And since then, our creative team has been hard at work preparing for the Christmas season at New Spring. The process started with our set and concept designer's sketch of a set for our stage. And from there, he and his team began building the set piece by piece in our shop. In the meantime, our art director designed the series brand and sketched out a few potential Grinches that could act as our main character for the series. 
that's when our puppet Grimly was born. This custom-made puppet took about six weeks to create, and once it arrived, our elementary school pastor brought him to life. Then our director of photography and video team filmed and put together promotional videos for the series. Our animation designer even created a digital 3D model of our Christmas town. From Grinch's standees and signage around the building, to a children's book written and illustrated by our staff, to skits written to correspond with our weekend messages, this series is one of our most elaborate to date. The construction of our stage set alone took over six months from start to finish, and two weeks just to assemble on our stage. We do all this because we believe church should be not only inspiring, but fun. It's our goal to create joyful, relevant, irresistible environments so we can set the stage for life change. Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. Whether you're here in South, North, or worshiping online, we are so excited that you have chosen to spend this special time of year with us here at New Spring. And how about we spread some Christmas cheer? Just take a second to turn around to someone around you. Tell them Merry Christmas. Give them a handshake, a high five. Don't be shy. And if you're watching online, feel free to fellowship with your fellow viewers. Say Merry Christmas in the iChat. So wonderful to see that. We're all about building connections here at New Springs, and we would love to connect with you even more if it's your first time here. Um, there's a Talk To Us card that you can find in the seat back in front of you. If you would, it would be awesome if you could take it out, fill it out with any information you feel comfortable sharing. Maybe you have a burning question for us that you would like answered. Feel free to go ahead and write that down as well, and then take that to one of our info centers out in the lobby. If you choose to do that, we'll have a very special gift waiting for you. Um, they're not going to hassle you or anything like that. They just want to welcome you and say thank you for coming to New Spring. Another option is you can fill out the Talk To Us card um, through the New Spring app. If you search New Spring Kansas in the app store, you will find it that way. A cool feature about the app is the fill in the blank for the message portion. Um, so Pastor Mark is going to bring forth our last message in the Grinch's series. And so I highly encourage you to download it before then so you can follow along and fill it out as that message is brought forth. Again, welcome to New Spring. Merry Christmas, everyone. We're so excited that you're here, and we invite you to stand to your feet and help us celebrate our Christ's birth. All right, well, Merry Christmas again to all of you from all of us. We're so glad that you're here joining us this Christmas Eve. And uh, right now we're going to sing together. We invite you to do that. Here's our invitation. Let's all lift our voice and sing. Here we go.
hands up. We're going to celebrate right now. I'll sing, oh, come let us adore him. You sing this back to me. Come on. Oh, come let us adore him. You sing it. that there is something joyful to celebrate tonight, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to shout it with every breath in our lungs. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings, who ripped the whole earth with holy thunder, who leaves us breathless, in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Here we go, cause we're about to sing it out and go.
seated. Everyone in Wyville loved Christmas and the whole Christmas season, except for that grouch on Mount Grumpy who hated it, but for seemingly no reason. Grimley had tried many things to ruin the wise Christmas holiday, which he found so infuriating. He'd thrown snowballs at carolers. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And he cut holes in the ice to stop their Christmas ice skating. But there on this Christmas Eve, that Grimley got a new idea. An awful idea. A terribly wonderful, awfully new idea. He'd steal these wise Christmas. He'd steal all their fake Christmas joy. If he could just ruin their light show, the whole season he'd finally destroy. That Grimley found a part that no one would miss, for it was so tiny. But that small little part was the one piece that made the light shine so shiny. As the sky grew dark and as the sun went down, the wise came out excited from all around. Together they gathered, all smiling with a special Christmas glee, to see the one and only lighting of their beautiful Christmas tree. Oh boy, I can't believe it! It's finally Christmas Eve! Oh man, just look at that. I've been waiting all year for this. The sun's going down, the lights are in place. This can only mean one thing. It's finally time for our annual Christmas Eve lighting show. Why, even Grimley of the Grinches is here. Yeah. There's just no stop to this Christmas cheer. Why, yeah. I gotta say, Grimley, it's really good to see you. Yeah. Hey, Wendy, I think all those talks you've had with him are finally starting to get through. Me too. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, let's start the countdown. Are you guys ready? Yeah, let's all right, go. Let's start it. 50, 49, 48. Are you kidding me? Can we start any lower, please? Oh, well, just for you, Grimley, because you're so excited. Let's start at three. Ready? Three, three two, two, one. And there we go. It's starting. It, uh, uh, uh oh, that's not supposed to happen. Uh, As Grimley stood looking at all the wise dismay, he couldn't help but stare smugly as things started going his way. He stood triumphant among the wise, none of them the least of which aware, for he hid his selfish thievery without the slightest bit of flair. <laughs> or maybe not. Wait a minute. What's so funny, Grimly? Yeah, Grimly, did you mess with our lights? Wait, Wait a minute. <coughs> Man, it's so. Hey! Our light illuminator's gone! <gasps> Grimley had taken this small yet special part and hid it where no one would find it. The question is, would anyone suspect him as the one keeping the lights from being lit? Yeah, well, probably if you don't pipe down, Dr. Goose. Okay. <laughs> Grimley, for the last time, would you not acknowledge the narrator? Yeah, well, maybe I wouldn't feel the need to acknowledge the narrator if you didn't wear a sweater that exalted the senses. Yeah. Okay. Looks like you're wearing a, the upholstery from a 70s van. Okay. Grimley, did you take the light luminator? Yeah, yeah, listen, you can't prove anything, Wendy, especially in court, so it looks like your guys' little celebration's just gonna have to be canceled. Oh, Grimley, why are you so, well, grim? Well, yeah. Couldn't anything change your heart on a cold Christmas Eve? I don't think so. Oh, uh, excuse oh. me, sir. I wanted to buy these shoes. Aw. Shoes? Don't care, sob story. 
<laughs> Christmas is canceled, Wise. Well, Stu could order a new part. What? Well, I mean, I guess I could, Wendy, but come on, it's Christmas Eve. The YPS people are pretty deliver pretty, 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 they're busy delivering packages. It wouldn't get here on time. Even if it did, by some crazy miracle, the sun's going down. There wouldn't be enough light to... That was fast. There's no light for me to work with. Oh. I can't see what I'm doing. Wendy, this light show, it's not going to turn out the way we hoped. What? It's hopeless. <laughs> Hope. Hope. Hopeless? Aw. And there was the word, set on Christmas Eve, that seemed to ring true for each Y who now grieved. There would be no lights, nor dancing, nor annual celebration. The sun was setting, and the cloudy sky hid every bright constellation. The part hadn't seemed to make much of a difference at all, but that small part, when removed, had let every hope fall. It seemed at first, for the wise, that with only a failed lighting display, Grimly had stolen their joy and gotten his grouchiest way. But then, that little Wendy Lee Y had herself a bright, hopeful thought. Perhaps she could save the celebration. She had to give it a shot. Some lying around here somewhere. Hey, Wendy, you looking for something? Well, the town lights aren't working, and things around here have gotten pretty dark. I was hoping I could find something to help me out. Yeah, actually, I was using these candles to tune my guitar, so if you want to borrow one of those, you can. Well, what good is one small light when it's so dark? Wendy, sometimes the smallest things can make the biggest difference when it's dark. I don't know. I guess. Wendy, have you ever heard the story of how the song Silent Night came to be? No. Well, back in the 1800s in Austria, in a very small town, there was a guy named Joseph Moore. And Joseph Moore, uh, they were getting ready for a Christmas big program, kind of like the one in Wyville. And they had a choir and an organ, and Christmas Eve came, and the organ broke. Oh, no! I know. And so Joseph and a songwriting buddy of his, who played the acoustic guitar, sat down with an old poem that he had written. And they wrote the song Silent Night, and it was a song that the choir could sing, and they saved their Christmas Eve program. Wow, I'm sure singing it for the first time that cold winter night, they never imagined just how far that song would travel or how long it would last. Exactly, Wendy, and just like that song and just like that light, the small things can spread and travel all the way around the world, just like one candle can spread its light to another. You're right, Austin. I think that candle would be just the perfect thing. Do you mind? Oh, and before I go, would you sing Silent Night for our YFL celebration? Absolutely. And if everybody at this time would light their candles and join us in singing.
Hopelessness had seemed as heavy and unchangeable as the darkness of night. But with only a few candles, they fought back darkness with light. And it passed between each one, the illumination slowly growing. It was a picture of hope that each one of them was showing. For as that first small flame made a difference on this simple Christmas Eve, these wise reminisced of a woman and the small babies she conceived. On a simple night, without a light show or a banner unfurled, a baby was born in a stable, bringing hope and joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive. Let heaven, heaven and nature 
Thank you for being at our last of six weekend experiences for Christmas Eve. We're so glad you guys are here. And I hope you feel that we have prepared for this all year long. We love Christmas Eve services at New Spring. And the reason why I say that today is I want us to all understand that we're not just getting together and lighting some candles and singing a few ditties. We want life change to happen in this service in all six of our experiences. See, here's the thing. We want this to be somebody's turning point. In fact, it already has become many people's turning point. And I hope my prayer, my Christmas wish, is that 20 years from now that many of us will look back on this night and say, it wasn't just that I got to go to a Christmas Eve service at New Spring. My life changed that night. And so with that in mind, I want you to kind of feel the pressure that I feel as I stand before you to bring this message this evening. Several weeks back, I was reading through the, Old, the New Testament book of Acts, and I was reading about Paul and his missionary partner, Barnabas, and they wound up in this city called Antioch, and they just sort of showed up at a worship experience, and being Jewish, they went to a Jewish worship experience, and here's what the Bible says in Acts 13, verse 15, after reading from the law and the prophets, now, that may not mean a lot in our Western world, but to the Jewish mind in the first century, that was a moniker for the Bible, so basically somebody read from the Bible. And my guess is if you have a Christian or a Jewish tradition, you understand what that's like because you go to church and you almost expect someone to read from the Bible. So let's pick it up there. After reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Another translation says, if you have something to say that will help the people, please speak. A third translation says, if you have a word of comfort, speak with the people. I was telling my staff the other day, I think I'm going to get a plaque and put that in my office. Because don't you agree that if someone speaks for God, that's, that's the target? If I have a message of encouragement, speak. If I have a message that will help you, speak. If I have a message that will comfort you, speak. Because at the end of the day, no one's going to remember whether I delivered a homiletical masterpiece. Now, I've never delivered one, but I'm just saying, nobody would ever remember that. But you know what? If I have a message that will help you, you will remember that. If I have a message that will encourage you, have you ever thought about the etymology of the word encourage? It means to infuse with courage. Hey, you and I live in a world that will just rip the courage right out of you, don't, don't we? You'll remember it if I have a word that encourages you. If I comfort you with this message, you'll remember that. So I just want you to feel the pressure that I'm under tonight as I bring you about this 15 or 20-minute talk. I want to give you something that will encourage you, something that will comfort you, and most of all, something that will help you. With that kind of pressure on me, I think you'll understand when I tell you, I'm going to take a risk tonight. Boy, what a risk to take on Christmas Eve. Because you see, surrounded by all the beauty of Christmas, I'm going to talk about something painful. We're in a series right now called Grinches. And it's all about the stuff that steals our stuff. It's about the stuff, you know, the lyric from the Christmas song, God rest you, merry gentlemen. It's the stuff that steals our comfort and joy. The first week of our series, we talked about stress. So we talked about anger. The second week, the third week, we talked about anxiety. The Lord knows that's stolen a lot of my joy through the years. And then last week, Stephen talked about the Grinch of the past and getting dealing with the past. Why, I'm going to go to the darkest place of all tonight, and I'm going to talk about hopelessness. (laughs) That's a risk, isn't it, on Christmas Eve? You sort of expect a pastor to talk about something that's got holly and mistletoe, but, I mean, to talk about hopelessness on Christmas Eve. But you should understand that when I use the term hopelessness, I don't mean just absolute hopelessness. I'm talking about hopelessness in in a contextual sense. And, And by hopelessness, I just want you to know, I mean, just a sense that life isn't going to work out. And when I speak of a contextual sense, some of you are in 
a relationship and you're just saying, I, I just have a sense it isn't going to work out. For others of you, it's your career has evolved in a negative way and you just say, I think it isn't going to work out. Some of you are in college right now and you just, I remember those days. I felt hopeless many times. I just don't think it's going to work out. Or it could be your emotional health and you're saying, I just don't think it's going to work out. Strange, isn't it? We talk about the idealism of youth. And young people are idealistic. We all start off life thinking that someday, somewhere along the, the way, around the corner, life is going to work out. I mean, it's sort of like the carrot before the horse. Life is going to work out if I can ever get into high school. Life is going to work out if I can get my driver's license. Life is going to work out if I can get out of college, out of high school. Life will work out if I can get into college, get out of college, get in a relationship, get out of a relationship. Somewhere down along the line, life is going to work out. But as I say, there's a reason why we call it the idealism of youth, because as we get a little older, we discover that things, one by one, are just not going to work out the way we thought they were going to work out. And if enough stuff goes wrong, it isn't long before our eyes begin to lower and our heads begin to drop, and we feel a sense of hopelessness. I mean, we do what it takes to face the day. Maybe we even paste on a smile. But too much has just gone wrong. And we find ourselves saying one of these three expressions, whether we say it audibly or not. We say to ourselves, I just don't think there's any way out. Or I don't think there's any way back. Or the one that hurts me the most. It's just never going to be right again. And now the Grinch of hopelessness threatens to steal not only Christmas, but every other day of the year as well. You know, in Kansas, and, and to my, just pardon the personal reference, I came from Texas here 34 years ago, and I can't get used to the cold winters. I thought I would get used to them, but I'm still not used to them. But I'll tell you what I like even less than the cold winters, and that is this time of year we get the short, cold days and the long, dark nights. We're far enough north here that the sun goes down. Are you kidding me? At five o'clock in the afternoon? And, and, and I don't like that. And I'll start saying to my wife, you know, in July, have you noticed the days are getting shorter? Now, they're not short in July. I just know what we're headed for in December. <laughs> and isn't it strange we have what is called the most wonderful day of the year in the worst time of year? I was feeling bad about the day ending early, and I pulled into my neighborhood the other night, and there were the Christmas lights on, and, the Christ and it was just magnificent. Not my house, but all the other houses <laughs> in the neighborhood had Christmas lights on. And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting that in the darkest part of the year, you have those, the beauty of Christmas lights, and it's not just lights, it's the pageantry and the music and the celebrations. Have you ever considered that the Christmas celebration is kind of a microcosm, it's kind of a metaphor for the way the world is? Because with the brokenness and dysfunctionality of our world, those short cold days and long dark nights, that in the midst of that darkness and brokenness, Jesus comes and he turns on all the lights. That is what Christmas is all about. And with Jesus, hope comes. Have you ever thought about God's solution to a broken world was a baby? That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've had billions of babies born, and yet this one baby that was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, that was God's solution for the long, dark nights and the short, cold days of a broken, flawed, dysfunctional world. Don't you find it interesting that God didn't send a plan? We're in love with plans. 
Don't raise your hands, but how many of us have a plan in January to lose all the weight that we're going to gain in the next 24 hours? You've already got your plan. Hey, we're doing, it's two weeks from Saturday. We're starting the biggest series I've ever been part of here at New Spring. It's called Healthy, so we're going to be talking about that. But God didn't send a plan, did he? He didn't send an idea. And Lord knows we're in love with technology today, but he didn't send technology. I mean, how, what do we have now? The iPhone 36? <laughs> I mean, we're in love with gadgetry and technology. And here's the thing. We sort of walk around like technology is a solution to everything. We've got more people following us and fewer friends than we've ever had before. We can get any kind of information we want in a split second, and yet we don't know how to hold marriages together like our great-grandparents did. It kind of mocks us, doesn't it? It's like we have the solution and we have no solution. But what I love about this is when God looked down at our broken world, he didn't send a plan, he didn't send an idea, he didn't send a technological device, he didn't send a system, he sent a baby. You know why? Because we needed a superhero. We needed a savior. That is what the world needed. It is what a hopeless world needs. It's what a hopeless marriage needs. It's what a hopeless Hopeless, broken person like me who deals with an emotional disorder. It's what I need. I need a savior. See, technology is not enough. Plans, Lord knows I've tried enough of them, are not enough. Ingenuity, expertise, (laughs) experts, politics. How many of you have lived long enough to know that politics isn't going to provide a solution? The Democrats don't have it. The Republicans don't have it. The independents, the socialists, the ists of any kind Nobody's got that in politics. In fact, we need a solution for the political brokenness in our nation. God sent a superhero. Somebody could be here tonight and you're saying, Mark, I'm not even a spiritual person. I'm here because I've got friends who drug me to New Spring Church tonight. I'm just kind of waiting for it to get over. Hey, I, I dig that, and I appreciate you coming tonight. I really do. But you know what? Here's the thing. Even if you're not a spiritual person, and even if you say, well, Mark, I'm not even sure I believe in the supernatural, deep down inside of you, in fact, you don't even need that. All you need is just a cultural awareness that there is a general sense in the human person that we need a savior or a superhero. I'll tell you, tell you why, how I can prove that. You ever go to a movie? Do you have to sit through promos like I do for upcoming movies? I've been doing that for 50, 60 years. I mean, how many times do I have to sit there and see some movie coming out about a superhero and I'm so tired of this expression or some manifestation of it? I mean, I hear it ad nauseum. The superhero comes to save the planet, to save the world, to save the human race. How many television shows, how many movies have I seen where some superhero is going to come save the planet? Just was at the theater last week and saw another one coming out. Through the years, it's been Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Hulk, Captain America, Black Panther, on and on and on it goes. Superhero, going to save the planet. I think the presence of these movies and the presence of this media resonates with us and helps us understand that deep down inside of the human psyche, we crave a superhero, we crave a savior. But the fact there are so many of these manifestations reveals the fact that deep also inside we're aware of the fact that these are all fiction. They're all fantasy. But you know what the beauty of Christmas is? Do you know what makes us more than just a seasonal celebration? It is the fact that Jesus comes and the Christmas story 
translates this idea of a superhero from fantasy and fiction to biography. Jesus comes. He came into our world, God in skin. For 33 years, he lived a perfect life. He ran the table, and then he laid that perfect life on a Roman cross. And the way God saw it, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for every sin and dysfunction in my life or your life or the whole human race. Three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, the most provable fact probably in ancient history. And right now, God has a deal on the table. We'll talk about it in a minute. But if you're here today and you've got any kind of, any modicum of hopelessness in your life, I want to give you three reasons why you can feel hopeful. And as as I got ready for this talk, you need to know, I really didn't want this to be a sermon. See, I've been a pastor for 42 years and I've had many people walk into my office this time of year and say something like this, Mark, I just don't, it's not a good time for me. And there's another reason why I'm kind of going to a painful place on Christmas Eve. I've conducted over a thousand funerals. And way too many suicides and way too many this time of year. And because of that, I want to have an honest talk. And see, here's the thing. I don't want to preach a sermon to you. I just, if you came into my office today and you said, Mark, I'm just kind of struggling with life. I I want to share with you the three things I would say to you. And I would want somebody to say to me. If you have any hopelessness at all tonight, the first thing I want to let you know is that God knows you. You say, well, Mark, how does God know me? There's seven billion people on the planet. He does. He knows you. But because God is, you know, and I have a lot of friends who are non-theists or agnostics, and, 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 and I, I really, the more I listen to them, I'm not so sure that it's not that God is a, not a useful hypothesis to them. I, I just think it's that they're concerned if they ever open themselves up to the possibility of the existence of God, it would be a slippery slope in which sooner or later they would find themselves looking at God saying, how do you feel about me? In fact, the only atheists I worry about are the religious ones. Last week, on Sunday night, my, I was making a visit with our care pastor, John Renfro, at Wesley Hospital, and it was late at night, and I hadn't made a hospital visit late at night in years. And as we were walking the halls of Wesley, I started telling John about a story. The story happened over 20 years ago. It was at our old location on South Hillside, but I got a call in the middle of the night that one of our members was having emergency surgery. And so in those days, I wore a suit seven days a week. And so I got up, threw my suit on, and drove to Wesley Hospital. And then I started doing a series of naughty things. I parked in emergency parking. You're not supposed to do that. But I didn't, I I thought to myself, if I park in the parking garage, it takes forever to walk in the hospital. So I'm just going to, there won't be anybody else in the emergency parking at 2.30 in the morning. So I drove up, parked in emergency parking, and then I walked into the hospital in the emergency park. But I didn't hardly recognize it because it was under massive construction at Wesley. And, And there were all these makeshift hallways made out of plastic and tape. And I made my way through there and got up to the tower in building four, made my visit. And I was leaving about 3 o'clock now, and I should tell you I was hooked on Diet Coke at the time, and the coffee shop was open 24 hours a day then. And I thought, I'm going to go in and get some caffeine, get a Diet Coke. And I walked in there, and they had new cups. And I grew up on a song when I was a little kid in church called Deep and Wide, and there was this cup there that was deep and wide. I mean, it was huge. And I thought, wow, look at that. 
So I bought this cup, and so I want you to get this picture. So here I am, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm making my way out of the hospital, and I get into that crazy labyrinth around emergency where they were doing all the construction, and I got lost. And the next thing I know, and I want you to get this picture, I walk into a trauma unit where doctors all gowned up and nurses all gowned up are working over somebody who's in a whole lot of trouble. Now, here's the thing. I walk in there. I'm not supposed to be there. I walk straight in there, like holding this big, as we used to say in Texas, soda water. And then the doctor looked up at me. I couldn't see his mouth. He's masked up, but the eyes looked at me and I thought, he is going to kill me. And then have you ever seen someone smile when their mouth is covered? You see their eyes sort of crinkle at the corners. As he looked at me, his eyes began to crinkle and I heard behind that mask, hello, pastor. I said, hi, and I got out of there. (laughs) I never knew who that doctor was. If you were the one in emergency, nice to see you again. (laughs) And that's how it is with God. We've done things we shouldn't do. We're where we don't belong. We got stuff we shouldn't have. And how does he feel about us? Well, he knows you. I mean, no matter who you are, where you've been, if you could see God behind the mask that you think exists, you would find his eyes crinkle. And he would say, hello, Mark. Hello, whatever your name is. And as you begin to talk, he would say, I've been with you every day of your life. And as he began to talk to you about things you've experienced, you would find yourself over and over saying, I forgot all about that. See, God knows you. Now, I want you to know I'm not just blowing sunshine at you. I mean, Jesus said that he knows the number of hairs on top of your head. In my case, that's a continually declining balance. (laughs) But it's not that he knows what's going on on the outside of my head. He knows what's going on the inside of your head. He knows you. He knows what excites you. He knows what worries you. He knows what your dreams are. He knows what scares you. He knows you. If you feel any kind of hopelessness tonight, I want you to think about the second thing. Not only does he know you, he cares about you. He loves you. I grew up in church when I was a kid. And the earliest thing I can remember learning about God is this song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, I'm 62 years old. I've been a pastor for 42 years. I travel the country and I speak to, I speak to Christian organizations and churches and corporations. And, and I've, I've learned so much about God. And you know, at the end of the day, the thing that's the deepest thing I know, Jesus loves me. And speaking sometimes at conferences, there'll be icebreakers. And one of the icebreakers is, if you could ask God any question, what would the question be? And there are always people that, you know, some have this idea about something weird in the Bible, and they would ask him about that. Others have more existential questions. But I will tell you, if I could talk to God today and ask him one question, I only have one for him. I want to know how he could love me. See, I know everything about me. You know everything about you. You know, if the person sitting next to you knew everything about you, they'd get up and move. (laughs) That's true. Because the thing about it is, you know everything about you, and you know what you would have done if you didn't get arrested. Fair? I would want to know, God, why could you love me? But he does. Number three, and this is the coup de grace. Not only does God know you, not only does he love you, he has plans for your life. Here's a plan for your future. 
You say, Mark, but I feel hopeless, and I don't think, I don't see any way out, I don't see any way back, and I don't think things are ever going to be right again. One of the most famous verses in the Bible was written to people like that. Oh, this is a famous verse. Some of you, it's your life verse. Others of you, you have it on a plaque in your house. Others of you, you have it on jewelry that you wear. It's a beautiful verse, but what you might not have known is it was written to people who were going through the worst possible kind of thing. Their nation, Judah, had been overrun by Babylon. Their homes had been destroyed. Many had been killed. They had been carried away captive, forced to live in a country they didn't want to live in. And you know what they were doing? They were doing exactly what I would have done if I'd been carried away to Babylon. They were just freezing and saying, you know what? Life is over. We're just going to mark time till we die. Things, there's no way out. There's no way back. It's never going to be right again. And it was to those people that God had Jeremiah write, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God said, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to give you a hope in a future. Think about that. Plans to give you a hope in a future. I was written in Hebrew, but unfortunately, there are a couple of Hebrew words that don't travel very well into English. The first word is the word no, because it doesn't just mean to have cognitive awareness of something. The word no there means to know from seeing. Hey, you know a lot of facts to be true because you've studied information, but there are certain facts that you know are true because you've seen, and nobody can back you out of that because you've seen it. And that's what the word means there. God says, I know, <laughs> I, I've seen your future. I, I know by seeing your future. I cannot teach that verse without thinking about my dad. My dad died five years ago. He was a great man. He was a great pastor. He pastored the same church for 50 years. But <laughs> I used to play a terrible game. I'm ashamed of myself. But when Christmas came around and I was a kid, I used to play the most horrible game with my dad because, frankly, he couldn't keep a secret. My dad would have been a horrible poker player. He just couldn't keep a straight face. And I wanted to know what my Christmas presents were, but unfortunately, they were all wrapped up. They were just boxes, and there was paper behind them. It was my future. It was on the ground under the Christmas tree, but I couldn't get it. But my dad knew what was there, so I would engage him in these questions because he couldn't keep a secret. And so I'd start playing this game of 20 questions with him. And I'm ashamed to admit this, but I would start off by asking him questions that I knew were wrong. I knew they were going to lead nowhere, but I just wanted to get him in the rhythm of answering my questions. You ever get somebody in the rhythm of answering your questions and they tell you what you want to know before they realize it? You just got them in a rhythm. Lawyers do that all the time with, with, with witnesses. So I said, I'd ask dad, is it this? No, it's not that. You're getting cold. Is it that? <laughs> oh, no, it's not that. And then I'd start going in for the kill. And then I'd say... But could it be, if it was a camera, I would say, did you get me film? Now you're too, if you're under 50, you don't know what film is. Just to put it in cameras and go get it developed. And then he'd start grinning. And I'd wind up getting all my presents on December the 13th. It's a true story. If you could, if you could see God today, he would be smiling because he's seen your future. You don't know it right now. It's, it's all wrapped up. You can't, can't tell what it is. You're trying to make sense of it, but you can't make sense. It's, it's wrapped up in paper and in boxes and boxes, and you can't get a sense of the shape of what it is. But it's like, God, what is my future? And if you could see God, he is smiling because he knows from seeing. And now the second word that doesn't travel well into English, the word plans. 
We have a lot of engineers in Wichita. We build a lot of airplanes and, and other sophisticated equipment. Engineers are very intelligent. Those men and women, they know how to develop schematics. They know how to engineer parts. Here's the thing. If you and I, those of us who are lay people, we've never built airplanes, we could see some of the parts over at Spirit or some of the other aircraft manufacturers, and we look at that and we say, I don't know what in the world that is. But an aircraft engineer would say, oh, it's essential to the airplane. And God is saying, I know the the, the word plans there, our closest English word is machinations, machining, engineering. God is saying, I know from seeing how all the engineering works, I know how all the pieces fit together. But this is what makes God different from even the brilliant engineers that we have in Wichita. Because God often works with broken pieces. God often takes the pieces of our life that we look at and we say, I don't see how anything good can come from that. I've been giving away my age all night. I may as well do it again. I was listening, I listened to 70s music. That's just my era. And yesterday I was listening to 70s music and the old James Taylor song came on that I love so much, Fire and Rain. And there's that lyric in there, sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. And maybe that's where you are. Sweet dreams and flying machines and pieces on the ground. But the interesting thing about God is God can pick up a broken piece in a broken world, something that wasn't his fault, may not have been your fault, may not have been anybody's fault, but he just picks up that piece and owns it and says, I know how this fits. I know how to put it together. I do know what I'm talking about tonight. I'm 62 years old and almost nothing in my life has worked out the way I thought it was going to. And yet, I am the quintessential Jimmy Stewart living a wonderful life. But nothing's ever quite worked the way I thought it was going to work out. When I was dating my wife when we were in college years ago, one day we were on our way to chapel. I said to her, I'll go anywhere God sends me except to Kansas. In June, I'll be here 34 years. But I can't imagine living anywhere else. I mean, that is what God has done. God has taken the pieces that I didn't understand, and he's engineered them, and he's owned them and put them together. And he's given me a future and a hope. And that's what he wants to do. See, if I could just sit and talk to you in my office today, I would say, God knows you. He loves you. And he has a plan for your life. What do you do? How do you, how do you react to that? What does God want? Does he want you to join a religion? Not hardly. Does he want you to give money? No. He wants you to do community service? Not for this. Read this. The reason why I hate religion, and I don't mean the people in religion, I'm just talking about the man-made systems. The reason why I hate religion is religion says, get your life all tied up in a box, put a bow in it, present it to God, maybe he'll accept it. That's not at all what this book says. This book says God is looking for people who will trust him. God is looking for people who will put, by faith, put their hand in the hand of the baby in the manger. And right now, God has a deal on the table. And that's what Christmas is all about. Years ago, I read a story. I talked about lights in my neighborhood. You know how it is people leave their lights on after Christmas sometimes to New Year's, you know, and that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Kind of like it. Spend all that money to put them up. May as well leave them up a little longer. But there was this family in this neighborhood. They left their lights on all the way through January. 
And then they left them on into February and then to the end of February. And after a while, you know, the people in the neighborhood were thinking, boy, it's one thing to leave your lights up. It's something else to be so lazy you turn them on every night. But in the middle of March, everybody in the neighborhood began to understand why the lights were on. This was a long time ago. They had a boy in Vietnam, and he couldn't be there for Christmas, and they had said to him, when you come home, we're going to have Christmas, and we're not going to turn the lights out until you come home. In the middle of March, with all the Christmas lights on, there was a big banner over the house that said, welcome home, Jimmy. And I want to tell you tonight, God has left the lights on for you. That is the story of Christmas. God loves you so much, and into the middle of our hopelessness and brokenness, he comes and says, I know you, and I love you, and I have a plan for you. And right now, God has a deal on the table. It's a time-sensitive deal, but if you're breathing, there's still time. And the deal goes something like this that you could never get into heaven on your own, so God sent you a pinch hitter. And Jesus came into our world, God in skin, born in Bethlehem, lived that perfect life, laid it on a Roman cross, and paid the price for your sins, and three days later walked out of the grave under his own power, and anyone who will trust in Jesus can be forgiven and have everlasting life. And tonight, the lights are left on for you. I want you to bow your head with me for a moment, and I want to pray a prayer. And if you're here and you say, Mark, I just would love to have that relationship with God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer that reaches out to God, and I'm going to pray it so slowly, line by line, that you can decide if you want to own it and say it after me. And the main thing, these aren't magic words, but the main thing is if you mean these, God will listen to your prayer. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus lived a perfect life. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. Would you forgive me and make me your child? I'm excited about the plans that you have for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, now the best is yet to come. We have a great finish, but in just when the service is over, if you just prayed for me, do us both a favor. Any info center, if you're in South Auditorium, you're in North Auditorium, any info center, all you gotta do is go up there and say, I pray with Mark, and that's all it will take because I have a box, a gift box for you. It's got a Bible just like I speak from. It's got a book, relax, I have ADD, I don't write long books. It's got a book that will answer a lot of questions and some other cool stuff. It's just a wonderful gift box. And all you got to do is go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number, anything like that. They just want to give you the box. Okay, that's all we want to do, give you the box. So do that. Okay, please. Now, a couple things real fast. Please stay tight because we got the grand finale coming up. But I got to tell you two things. One thing is we will not have services on campus next weekend. I think you can look around and realize that our staff is deeply invested in this weekend, and many of them will miss a lot of the Christmas experience because they want to serve you and be a blessing to you. And it's not just staff. It's a 1,000 volunteers, and you see many of them with the shirts on all around the campus. We want to make sure everyone who serves at New Spring gets an opportunity to spend time with family. So next weekend, we will not have a service on campus, but we will have a service online. So I've got a sermon, a New Year's sermon, and then our worship team will be leading in worship. So you can get on our website for any of our services next weekend or get on Facebook and you can watch the service. So that's this coming weekend. Now then, 
Two weeks from Saturday, I start the biggest series I've ever been part of. It's called Healthy, and it's all about living our life the best we possibly can. It's an awesome series. We're going to talk about physical health, spiritual health, emotional health, financial health. That all begins the first week we're back in January. So I want to encourage you to be here. Please come back. If this is your first time, please don't let it be the last time. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. This will be the last time I'll see you this year. So God bless you. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Due to the holiday season, we're making some changes to our schedule over the next two weeks. We won't be holding any services on campus next weekend, December 29th or 30th. And we won't have our regularly scheduled first Wednesday service on January 2nd. However, you can tune into our live stream at newspring.org live on December 29th or 30th during any of our regular service times to watch a special online service with music from our worship team and a message from Pastor Mark. Our regular services will then resume on January 5th and 6th. Remember, you can always find our schedule and upcoming changes like these at newspring.org schedule. Who can measure the value of health? You know, some of the richest people on the planet would give away all their wealth just to be healthy because the healthier we are, the more our world expands. But there's so much more to health than just the physical aspect. There's mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and financial health, just to name a few. Fact is, every one of us can be healthier. And this message series is about taking those practical steps toward living life at our very best. After watching the wise return home, after singing carols in the candlelight, Grimly sat in his cave and realized he'd not seen Christmas quite right. It wasn't just a crazy notion or some silly dream or wish that they held. It was the assurance of what was hoped for, confidence in one who was unparalleled. Up high on his mountain, Grimly realized his grave mistake. While the hopelessness he felt might continue to ache, there was something stronger placed in him that started to wake. A small, tiny baby had brought love that wasn't based on performance or some kind of merit, and now grimly marveled at the wise who had continued to share it. So, as he walked down through the snow on that cold Christmas Eve, grimly felt a warming inside. That warmth, it grew and it grew until he stood in the center of Wyville, grinning with pride. Well, I, I have to say, everyone, it feels like my heart's grown three sizes tonight. Wow, really? You should get that checked out by your cardiologist. Uh, that's not exactly... Uh, listen, I, what I'm trying to say is I'm sorry I've been such a grouch. Uh, also, I found this. Uh, must have, is that our light luminator? Yeah, it must have fallen out or something. How'd I don't know, that's kind of weird. It's just on the floor over here. That's where I... Uh, oh, the okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, these wires seem to have been uh, cut with a wire cutter. Yeah. I mean, I could splice them together, but uh, uh, how'd they get cut in the Okay, first come on, place? get cracking, Sherlock. Are we going to do this or not? <laughs> the narrator's being overpaid by the hour here. And so... Hey, wait, overpaid? Sorry, old habits, Poindexter. Well, when Grinches find hope, they may not shed all of their flaws. And as long as we're being real, the same is true for your in-laws. Amen. This is wonderful! With the missing part, we can do the light show! Yeah, well, Wendy, I'd like to, but uh, it's too dark for me to see what I'm doing. Oh. That's how it feels for some of us this time of year, when everyone celebrates and decorates with cheer. 
There's a knowledge inside of that simple night when a baby was born. We know that it brings hope, but the pain still hurts. The sad still mourn. The truth is, most problems won't be solved by quick cinches. But Christmas is for everyone, even the Grinchiest Grinches. So what do you do on a Christmas like that, when the hopelessness still seems as dark as the night? What can you do to not just remember, but feel his warm and comforting light? Maybe the answer comes in waiting with friends, waiting and trusting on the one who's the beginning and end. For just in that moment, when they needed it most, the clouds were blown away by a breeze off the coast. Whoa, would you look at that? The clouds are moving! Ah, hey, look at that star! It was stuck behind the clouds the whole time! I think I finally have enough light to fix this. There we go, just plug that in, get that set, restart the router, and... All right, I think we're ready. Are you guys ready to count down? Let's do go it! Three, Three, two, two one! Oh, it's working! Oh, boy. It's oh, boy. I better go get my camera.
Hey, Merry <laughs> Christmas, everybody. We are so thankful that you guys joined us at New Spring for our Christmas Eve services. We're looking forward to seeing you for the Healthy Series starting in January. You guys are dismissed. God bless and Merry Christmas. Come on, let's send them home, boys. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas